I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. My guest this morning is author Steve Simpson. Uh, We're going to be talking about surviving the holidays in a dysfunctional home, message of hope from an abuse survivor and thriver. This time of year may be festive for most people, but it is also painful and toxic to many. For those people, the holidays bring on the specter of violence and the pandemic has only made it worse. A struggling economy, an increase in illness and disease, and mental health issues that are increasing at an alarming rate. These are all major factors in dysfunctional homes and sadly contribute to an increase in suicide as a way out. Steve Simpson remembers toxic holidays. He doesn't think about them as often as he used to, but he remembers them. He wants to help child abuse victims like himself find help and hope this holiday season just in time, um, and throughout the year. He's been featured on national media, including CNN, Fox News, ABC News, CBS News, and I could go on and on. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Steve. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. So we've already passed one major holiday, which was Thanksgiving. Um uh, and now we go on to next Christmas and Hanukkah, and it actually it goes on and on. So uh, where do we start? How do we survive the holidays? How do we, one survive the holidays in a dysfunctional home? And maybe you should start with telling us a little about your own history of of abuse. Exactly. Yeah. Well, for you, exactly. First, as far as background, because you can kind of get in the mindset of someone going through it. So, so right now, if it was me still a child, like you said, we just got through Thanksgiving. <laughs> That would have been probably a war zone already. Um, it could have been violence. That could have been abused at that point, or a minimum yelling, screaming. Did the food get thrown off the table? Um, so already you're reeling from that, okay? And, of course, anticipating Christmas or Hanukkah coming up, but anticipating in a negative way, uh, obviously. Uh, because the thing is that uh, when you live around an alcoholic and abusive home like I did, one of the things I learned, Catherine, right out the gate, the longer I spend with him, the bigger chance I'm going to get abused. So I realized early on, just get away you know, from him. Uh, I ate real fast at the table. In fact, I still eat fast today just to have what I have now. Uh, my friends always laugh and say, ah, I'm on my salad. You're having dessert. You know, but it was a habit I learned just to just kind of get away from the table, spend as little time as possible. Um, a lot of abuse kids, if you'll notice, we always try to get out of the house. You know, we're the ones that hook up with older friends just to keep outside longer, um, always leaving. We have an opportunity sometimes sneaking out of the house like I did many times. Uh, and school's closed, so you can't get away with that. And your abuser is probably home uh, with you. So it's like the worst-case scenario, unfortunately, for someone who lives with abuse or dysfunction. So, um, and well, I, I'm sorry. No, I'm saying so. The kids are really, so kids who are being abused, I mean, they're stuck. There's really, I mean, I, you're t- giving us some suggestions of how to c- mitigate some of the abuse. But in reality, they're just stuck in the house with their abusers, as you say. They can't even go to school. There's no outside activities. You are home. And there's really no place to go. Um, no, because normally, too, like you go to a friend's house, but wait a minute. They're having their Thanksgiving dinner, or they're having their Christmas dinner or Hanukkah. So, like, showing up there, and some of them aren't even around. Like, maybe some of those friends would have I drove anyway, but now they're going to their aunt's house, or, they're not, or grandparents. So, they're not even around for you. 
to kind of sh- to shelter that. Uh, so that's the anticipation. And by the way, you had mentioned uh, earlier about the pandemic making it worse. And that was, I mean, think about what I just said, where you're dreading two days off, you know, being with them, you're dreading a four-day weekend. When we had the shutdown, Catherine, I mean, there was no school to go to. You're At, at the beginning of the shutdown, at a minimum, your friend's parents didn't want you around because everyone was terrified of catching something from somebody. So you and that he or she is whoever your views is off from work, okay? They're stuck in the house of you, and it wasn't days. I mean, look how long it was, and, uh, and that had to be. Even if you know, I stress um, this physical and, and verbal abuse. I had both. I had physical and verbal abuse. Although I will say to you, the verbal abuse did far worse damage to me in the long run. It's the verbal abuse that caused me to think of suicide. It's the verbal abuse that shattered my self esteem and, and took away my hope. And your father was so, an alcoholic. Uh, yes, he was an alcoholic, yeah. a violent alcoholic. Uh, again, like I said, an abusive man uh, and drank straight up. I mean, like he was old school. I mean, like pulled it. If he wasn't drunk already, by the time I got home, he, he kept scotch in his car. And, just, and he started drinking the second he got there. If he wasn't already, uh, had been drinking earlier. Um, and of course, you know, alcoholism, as the night goes on, he's getting more and more affected by his alcohol. Uh, and uh, so again, I I can't imagine th- these children who were two years ago stuck at home with nowhere to go. And what I stress too is the verbal abuse. Now they always were getting some, but now they're pounded with that verbal abuse nonstop. So I can't imagine at this point now school is back open. They're back in school, but the damage is done to these kids' self esteem, self worth. Uh, there was a, a, a teacher. Um, magazine I did an interview with. And I said, keep looking now, because I think some of these should be like walking time bombs at this point. You know, uh, don't blame everything on just the shutdown. Like, oh, you know, he or she is acting a little different than they used to. But all right, it was probably just the shutdown. No, it wasn't the shutdown. It was what was done to them during that shutdown. Okay. Uh, and I just tell them, like, you know, if you have to send half the class to school social worker, do it. You know, I always stressed, like, at the first inkling, that there's something going on here. I say go right, get in contact with a school counselor, psychologist, social worker. Uh, most schools here are primary school social workers uh, and get in contact with them immediately uh, before the next step, which again, my case was, I mean, by the time I was 11, I was already trying suicide. When I introduced the topic that we we're going to talk about it, and it's, we're, it's a, you're giving a message of hope from, I said, an abuse survivor, but also a thriver. How did you, you didn't just survive this, you thrived. I mean, you are help, not only helping others, you're successful, you're an author, all of these kinds of things. So how did you do that? How did you actually become a thriver, not just a survivor? Well, for me. For me, so at one point, by the time I was 13, I, I did a, a stint in uh, two foster homes, one for a month, one for a year. And then eventually my mom, on her own, nothing to do with my father, was done with him, got her own place. And, 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 but during that time period, so two things. One is, if you know that social services and so on, I had to go to either therapy or self-help groups. And I did both. Uh, it was a self-help group that opened the door of how. Because, you know, you always think you're the only person with the problem. Catherine, you know, everyone's, I caught fronting, you know, like right after Thanksgiving, everyone in class said they had a great time. Grower was wonderful. And at least a half dozen each class did not have a great time. So you kind of think that you're the only one because no one is saying anything negative. 
Well, I walk into this self-help group, and all these members had the same problems as I did, okay? At that point, I used to dress myself as a Z student, the opposite of an A student. Uh, and, but I always wrote. I was always, even as a boy, I was always writing poems, proses, short stories. So they saw some of my writing, and all the compliments started coming in. And I remember one girl one night said, you know, I don't know why you do bad in school, because you're smarter than me. I'm not smarter than you. Look at your grades. It's Steve, I can't write like this. So I actually learned to study, learned and started passing and passing more than only passing, then honor roll, natural during the honor society, and one after the other student of the month, and turned myself from a Z student to an A student. And the way, I, I guess the, the answer to thriving was, I had to like almost unprogram myself to all the things my father would say to me. Because, you know, if you hear something as a child on, you think it's true about yourself. That's all you've heard since you're a child. So you don't even try at times. I mean, and unfortunately, people carry it to their adult life. You know, they never, oh, why don't you ever try to, ah, why bother? Uh, but so part of my thriving was this almost unconditioning what I was told by my father, realized this is an abuser. And I always blame myself, and a lot of victims blame themselves for the abuse. And I realized it would have made no difference if my personality was different, if I did things differently, said things. If I was maybe a different kid altogether, if I was a daughter instead of a son, he still would have abused me because an abuser abuses because they're an abuser. So once I kind of figured all that out, I was able to like build the self-esteem and, 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 and grades going up. And then once, of course, I got into the business world, after school, I'm in mortgage banking, became very successful in that. Uh, and obviously, uh, I'm a published author a few times over. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me is, again, just realizing like, I'm, I was literally the opposite of what I thought about myself. And the more, you know, I, I, once starting helping other people too, that's a great way to kind of go yourself. Even as a young, even as a teenager, I started speaking at other schools, you know, to help other kids going through the same thing. And just never stopped. I mean, I just continue to do it as an adult. Um, but the more you uh, read, the more you get involved, or maybe shows like yours, pick things up, you kind of pick up little parts of, wait a minute, I only do that or think that because of what I lived through. Why don't you keep identifying, oh, this is because I was a abuse victim, this is because I was a child and alcoholic, and we tend to think this way. You can kind of unthink that way. I want to take and, you back uh, a little bit because, as I, as you know, I'm a social worker. I mean, there's an mm-hmm. enormous responsibility when you're talking about these kids, and I see it in yourself, for teachers, because these kids are in school all day long, these children who are being abused, for teachers to be able to recognize those half a dozen kids who had a crummy Thanksgiving, who are suffering, and then to make the referrals to the, the, the right of social workers, counselors. Because as you said, this just strikes me, connecting with other people, having another support group that tells you something very differently about yourself than your abusive parent or parents is really critical in the beginning. I mean, that's where it starts, it it seems to me, as I'm listening to your story. Uh, Absolutely. And I think the peers, like even, it depends on the school, even some social workers run support groups within the school. I I spoke at one uh, not too long ago uh, for them. And, um, and it's just so important to realize it's not me. I'm not the only one. And even joking about things, okay, like joking with each other, you know, uh, about things, you know. Uh, and, and you might say you joke about your abuse, but yeah, because it kind of builds a camaraderie, you know. And, I, and the funny thing is I was always making jokes, even being abused. It was a facade. Um, but then I started using it as far as survival. And because only another a victim themselves 
or someone listening to the Funks at Home will get your joke, and you kind of laugh together. And it was kind of nice then, Catherine, because then it was someone you may not have normally hung out with, but now you see them in school, you know, you meet, you that, and you kind of nod each, nod each other or say, how, how was your day, you know? And, uh, and that's, that was kind of important to me, because you kind of get each other. You know? how, did you handle, more, yeah, how did you handle, Steve, you know, kids bring their friends home after school. You have a couple friends you, you know, become close to and, and you bring them home to your house. How does a kid who has abusive parents or a parent, how, how, do, how do they, how do, what, how do they do that or don't they or, or what happens? You don't. I mean, it's funny yeah. you said that in mine, yeah, I, I just wouldn't, you know, or if there was no one else home, you know, there's a certain time in the afternoon and it's just me, uh, I, then, then I bring them in. But then there was this enormous pressure to get them out a certain time. And then once in a while, you have a friend over, and this is a typical abuse kid would relate to this, and you hear the car pull in the driveway for whatever reason, he's home early, and man, you're like, okay, okay let's go, let's go, and you get, you, like, you're rushing your friend out the door, uh, or, or let's just leave, let's, we'll go somewhere, or, why, we hang out, let's just go, because uh, you're terrified of what's going to be said, even if like, he doesn't abuse you right then and there, just saying something to your friend, doing something, being drunk in front of them. Um, so overall, you don't invite people over, and you and you tend to go to their houses. You tend to you know, outwardly, uh, which the damaging part, like I said earlier, is you tend to also gravitate to older friends because they have more freedom, they're out more, and so on. And the only damage that is, then do you start dating much older people? And of course, then you could be many young people are used by that. And I, I'll say this, Catherine, too: <laughs> many individuals like. Don't you get that he's using you? Let's say girls, and they really do get it, but they think it's the lesser of the two evils. You know, uh, a lot of these kids aren't as naive as you think they are. It becomes survival mechanisms. You've also written a book, because I want to talk about that too, the Teenage and Young Adult Survival Handbook. So that's a how-to book or a guide for these kids as teenagers. Um, and it's it's uh, and what's been the response to that book? And is this book in in schools, in, in high schools, for instance, or, at, or middle school, even teenagers? Some are, of course, working that more. So here's a, a unique thing. So the Teenage and Young Adult Survival Handbook is all my personal how I got there. There's different topics, suicide, uh, and the topic is I don't want to die, I just don't want to live. And that's what I used to say. That was my own line. Uh, it's from Z to A student, showing how I improved my self-esteem. Um, Friends of a child and alcoholic, all the traits we have that kind of make you realize you're not the only one. Uh, the two reasons I will not report my child abuse because you know, there are reasons why children won't do it, and and and, there's, and of course one is, is surviving the holidays and the dysfunctional abuse of home, and they're all short. They get to the point, and what I try to do in each one is make the reader instantly realize they're not the only one. But this is my own personal relationship. I'm not preaching anybody, and then also give them hope. And there's even a resource part there of all different organizations and 800 numbers and websites they can go on, whatever needs they might have. And in each one, I always encourage, almost anonymously, if you're in school, go to your school social worker, go to the school counselor, can find a teacher that you might feel comfortable with. I'm always doing that, or local community centers, churches have 12-step programs. Now, what I've done, which is unique, is you can imagine, Catherine, if a teacher said, I have this handbook, everybody, uh, for the, who, who here is thinking of suicide? Who here is being abused by the parents? Who has a low self-esteem? No one's going to raise their hand and ask for that book. I certainly wouldn't have. So I would have made fun of someone else just to get the focus on myself. So what? So how do you get it? The, the book is put in. I have four young adult 
fiction novels. They're exciting stories that they read like an exciting movie the young person would go to see. Uh, a lot of action, some of science fiction, some of action adventure. Uh, great characters, because even though they're fantastic fiction stories, the characters have realistic problems like I did, because my writing was my escape, by the way, when I was young. That was how I escaped my problems. And a lot of the stories in my books come from ideas I had as a child. But now that the handbook is an insert in any of my young adult novels, so now if you try to hand it to a young person and they say, what's this? Oh, I know you love these type of story. Really cool story. Look at the cover. It's like a lot of action. But you say a prayer while they have it, they say, oh, what's this? And, they, and there's like a book within a book. Or if a young person really wants the handbook, they want it, they're not put on the spot to have to ask for it. They can grab the book, and if someone asks, what is that? Oh, it's a, it's a really cool story. It's a fiction story. And you look at the cover real fast, and oh, yeah, okay. So it's a way a young person to ask for the handbook without being embarrassed or for you to get them that life-saving information without having a confrontation or putting them on the spot. Uh, so that's the unique thing I've done with it. And that's gone over very well with social workers and teachers. They love that idea. Now, what about these kids? They read your book. They get the help they need. They've been abused. They, get, they go to school. They go to college. How does that, you know, what happens to them? And maybe you can share some of this personal stuff with you as well. Like what happens when, you, when one becomes a parent themselves? Or what happens in terms of, their ability to have good relationships with uh, good adult relationships with other people, uh, intimate it's relationships. Funny you said that from a, yeah. from an adult perspective, if you get help and you, therapy, uh, and again, perhaps combination of self help groups, twelve step programs, you can have great relationships. <coughs> you know what's right or wrong now. If you don't, that becomes the problem. I mean, how many times have you had someone to say? I have the worst luck in the world dating. I always date these people that are rude or abuse me. It's not luck. You know, it, it's what you're accustomed to when you almost seek these people out or they seek you out because a lot of abusers can kind of almost smell someone who's a codependent and they'll allow it to happen to them. So, um, so they can be great parents if, again, they get the help. But unfortunately, if you took a survey uh, in a rehab or detox and said, how many people here are also who's an addict? an alcoholic, most of course addicted today, how many have a parent that was an addict or alcoholic? Almost all are going to start raising their hand. And unfortunately, they have children, and what ends up happening? They either abuse their own children or they become the codependent and get abused themselves and their kids get abused because they entered into an other abusive relationship. And you see that. It gets generational. But the great news is it doesn't have to be. That's the thing. It doesn't have to be. Um, that they can fill the brakes on it by getting therapy and realizing what's right and wrong relationship. But that's how I was in forced to care, by the way. A revelation to me there was when they got in arguments to parents, and I'd brace myself at first, like, oh, here we go. Nope, no abuse, no threats, um, no horrible things they'd say to each other. One of the other kids, their own kid, the foster kid, would do something that was wrong. Again, I braced myself. Are they going to beat this kid? No, of course they didn't beat him up. And they didn't say horrible things. They didn't raise their voice because I told you not to do that. But no demeaning things. So also seeing healthy relationships is kind of important that you realize that, you know, your idea of relationship was unhealthy. You know, because you'd say, why do certain people accept behavior in relationships get abused? Because they think that's what you're supposed to do. They never got therapy. They never realized that's not normal. 
Yeah. Well, who are your role models for parents? You have those the, the abusive parent, and that's it. And now you're talking about getting into foster care because foster care gets a bad name as well. Like kids get in, people take in foster children for not the right reasons, and it sort of perpetuates this kind of uh, situation that the kid has already been in. But that wasn't your experience, so you had a whole new. No, way it wasn't, of, and, and, and yeah. they do. I, I've heard the horrible stories about some foster. I have to say that it gets a bad rap. Both homes, they were great parents that just really wanted to help kids. And like, they were friends of other foster parents, and I would meet them. And they were all, I have to say, like, I, I, you know, and again, I'm not saying there has been abusers who are foster parents. I get that. But again, overall, most are not. Uh, you know, even as an adult, I made friends with people who are foster parents. And because uh, I remember one person said that there were, you know, there was an abusive situation. He was an adult, but he was saying, but he never wanted to go in a foster home because he might get abused again. And, well, I said, hmm, so you stayed in abuse? That's the chance you might get abused. I said, that wasn't the best strategy. So I, I had very positive experiences with that. And, and the prayer in foster home, by the way, is that perhaps at least one of the parents gets involved in therapy and, quote, gets better, you know. Uh, and that, that's the goal in most cases. But at a minimum, to get that young person out of the house. By the way, retracting back to holidays, for those who listen to us, there are ants uncles, grandparents, adult cousins. Um, if you suspect a young person it does live with abuse, and okay, for whatever reason you don't want to report it, maybe you can get that child to come to your house. If you know the holidays is going to be disaster, maybe you can say to them, don't say why, but just say to them, hey, why don't you spend the holidays with us? Why, you know, get them out of it. Give them a break. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they'll all to you. Maybe you'll find out in talking things are worse than you even thought they were. But I always stress that to adults relatives, you know, uh, don't, you know, again, don't say, I want to get your kid out. I know your husband abuses them. Don't do that because the denial factor of a codependent could block you. But just say, hey, you know, I would love that he could spend time with his or her cousins or uh, whatever this you want to say and maybe get them out of that house. Uh, that may be the best, best gift you can give them for the holidays. So grandparents would have, well, you're saying any relative, any who can do this, who has good intentions, but uh, I would assume also grandparents have a lot of power, maybe more power than they realize, and, and that's a, uh, as you're saying, that's a really good way to get the kid out of the house during the holidays. Any other suggestions? We don't have that much time left, so what specific, because we are getting into the season, like the Christmas season, and I, I think another thing is, um, I mean, expectation. Everybody may, has such an expectation, this kind of like false expectations everything every family is wonderful and everything is good and happy you know it's the season of good cheer and the kid who's being abused is like a 180 from that so changing one's expectations does that come into play well your expectations number one okay uh and of course that you again you're one of many and also one of the mistakes i would make in many of these things well maybe this christmas things will change Unfortunately, Christmas is about the birth of Christ. Hanukkah is about the miracle of the candles. It's not about your parent getting sober. So after, you get even more depressed. I guess God hates me. What I would say is to the, parent, the other parent, listen, perhaps if the only way you're going to change things for your kids is perhaps make a healthy move, get in therapy, even if it's temporarily, you know, maybe separating from an abuser. Get your kids away from the abuser. If you're not ready to do that, as I just said, why don't you send them off to the grandparents or the aunts and uncles or someone or adult cousins that you might have. Uh, perhaps do that to make this holiday better because it's not going to get better on its own. I mean, you know, the definition of insanity, do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Um, so the best gift I say is you can do that. 
uh, for the young people listening to this or an adult trying to talk to a young person, many of them think they caused the abuse. And the number one thing is to realize they didn't. That's why they don't want to be a social worker. You've seen that. They say, well, I did do this. I did there's nothing you can do to make someone abuse you. They, they're an abuser. And the other concern they have is, well, I'm going to get my mom in trouble, you know, the non-abusing parent. You're not going to get her in trouble. You're probably, if anything, most courts just mandate they go to therapy. You'd probably be helping out the non-abused parent to get you know, over their stuff. And they would stop being abused. So I would say, again, um, that they take that step and that you're one of many. There isn't a class that you're in where there isn't a handful of kids going through the same thing as you. Man, once I got involved with those groups, I was in shock of how many kids in class that I thought had no problem, you know, were in the group. And then some weren't in the group, but, like, they would talk about it, you know, eventually. They would say, hey, see, see her? She's got the same, what are you, her father? You know, and I was, like, amazed. So you're not the only one. You're, don't be embarrassed to ask for help. But one last thing, too, I also used to say, Steve, why don't you see the school social worker? Ah, I know what they're going to say. I know what they're going to say. I always, that was my line. I didn't know everything they were going to say. They had a lot of resources I didn't know existed. They had a lot of good suggestions to me, a lot of things to do. Um, you know, so, and again, I was an extreme, of course, foster care. That's not always the case. Sometimes parents just get help. Uh, so I would also say, um, again, give the, take that step. If you're a, a peer listening to this and you can't get them to go there, go with them. You know, I'll go with you to the school social worker. You know, most social workers will let you sit in the first time, or they might just sit outside the door when they talk to the student. Uh, but the thing is, offer to go with them. I'll hold your hand. I'll walk right to that office with you. Uh, that's always a suggestion I give to people. I think that's great. That's great, great advice. And uh, our time, at, you know, a minute left. So uh, given that, websites we can go to for more information so people can continue this conversation and read your books and uh, go from there. Sure. The website is powerpublishingcorp.com. And, uh, and oh, not just the books, all resources are there, different interviews are there, uh, just all sorts of resources and, and things. You can also contact me if you have a question and, and, and as well, and I will get back to you. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 